Well, if you were with us for Advent and for Christmas, then you'll know that we've been in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. Well, now in the new year and for the next few months, we will continue in the book of Colossians. And since we've already seen verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1, we're going to go back this morning to the beginning of the letter, verses 1 to 14. And before I read it, let me just give us a word about the historical context of the letter of the Colossians. It'll help us understand it, I think, a little bit more. From about 52 to 55 AD in the first century, the Apostle Paul was ministering in Ephesus with Timothy. And during that time, a man named Epaphras came from Colossae to Ephesus. Now, Colossae was very roughly 100 miles east of Ephesus. It was a big and prosperous town for many years, but at the time of the New Testament, at the time of these events, it had dwindled as nearby towns like Hierapolis and Laodicea had grown. So it was It was just a market town, maybe a cultural backwater for some. So Epaphras had come from Colossae to Ephesus, and he was then converted under the ministry of Paul and of others. And naturally, he then left to go back to Colossae, and he started the church there. Then fast forward just less than 10 years later to 62 AD, and Paul is in Rome under house arrest, and Epaphras comes to find him and tell him about the Colossian church. He tells Paul all about the church, the joys, the struggles, and so Paul then sends Tychicus and Onesimus with a letter back to the church at Colossae. And this letter is is based upon the things that Epaphras has told to the Apostle Paul, as Paul has never visited the church. But from the letter itself, we get a picture of the church at Colossae and the city as a whole. Actually, a picture that's confirmed by many extra-biblical sources. It was a pluralistic city full of Greek and Roman mythology, Jewish mysticism, even cultic worship of angels. A place full of special rites, feasts, paraphernalia, fasts, ways to try to have protection from divine spirits and angels, try to have mystic angelic visions of the future. Many descriptions that we have preserved for us and inscriptions uh, say the same thing. For example, there's an amulet that we have that was meant to be worn around somebody's neck from that time that says, Michael, Gabriel, Uriel, Raphael, names of angels in Jewish thought, protect the one who wears this, flee, O hated one, Solomon pursues you. So the question for the Colossian church and for Colossae as a whole is a question of power. Who has power? Who's going to protect me? Who should I believe in? And these are questions that even centuries later resonate, I think, with us. In a world of religious pluralism, increasing mysticism, we find ourselves asking the same questions of power. And if you don't believe me, you can actually find amulets just like this one nowadays on Amazon, on eBay, and on Etsy. With this in mind, let's turn to the letter itself. Young worshipers, this passage says that God has qualified us for something. My question to you this morning is, what has God qualified us for? Now, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Hear now the word of the Lord from Colossians 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before the word of, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, 
as also it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you pray with me? God over all things, God of power and God of might, would you give us now by your spirit, through your word, strength? Would you continue to increase our faith and would you help us to endure? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Imagine this morning that you're crossing a busy street. You find yourself in the middle on a very small median, just, just big enough for both your feet, kind of swaying from side to side. Behind you, the cars are whizzing past, and before you, the cars are hurtling by. You're frozen. You don't know which way to turn. You feel powerless. You feel helpless. Do you turn back? Try to cross back where you've been before because you know you can do it. You know you at least got to the middle of the road. Or do you go forward regardless of how dangerous it looks? Believe it or not, this is a place we find ourselves today. Today is New Year's Day. Last night was New Year's Eve. And yes, those are natural times to reflect on the past that's behind us and to reflect on the future that's to come in front of us to look backwards and to look forwards. But regardless of the calendar, even more than the calendar, we feel this in so many ways. We feel like we're at the crossroads, the crossroads of our relationships, the crossroads of our job, of our church, of our family, of Christianity in America. You name it, we probably feel like we're at the crossroads of it. And often when we're here in the middle of things, not knowing which way to turn, often we're quick to choose one direction over the other and at the expense of the other. Many of us tend to fixate either on the past or on the future. Some of us, especially, but not exclusively those who are older, tend to look more backwards than forwards. We look at what's past, all the deep, meaningful events in our lives, those that we've loved. We look fondly back at when we were in certain places with people, uh, with, with good teaching, with fellow Christians. We look back when Christianity was more accepted and acceptable. And it's not wrong to look back. But often we can do so at the expense of where God has put us now and seeing what he's up to. J.R.R. Tolkien so eloquently describes those who only look backwards in the words from Faramir in the Two Towers. He's speaking about the kings of Gondor and he says this, Kings built tombs more splendid than the houses of the living and counted the names of their descendants dearer than the names of their sons. Childless lords sat in aged halls musing on heraldry or in high cold towers asking questions of the stars. And so the kingdom of Gondor sank into ruin, the line of kings failed. Yet others of us, especially but not exclusively those that are younger, tend to look forwards and never look back. We look at what's to come, when we can do all the things that we want to do, when we can be who we want to be, the better things that are on our horizon, when we can live a more fulfilling life, 
when we can have the respect and the responsibility that we desire. We look ahead at the next stage of life, the next job or promotion, the next church, the next friend group, the next fill in the blank. And it's not wrong to look forward, yet we can also do the very same thing. We can look forward to the detriment of seeing where God has us now and seeing his beautiful providence in bringing us here in the past. In the words of John Ortberg, for most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living in them. And we will skim our lives because we're always looking forward to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Where are you this morning? Do you find yourself always looking back or always looking forward? Whether we find ourselves looking backwards or forwards, what we're really looking for, I think, is we're looking for power. We're looking for the power to endure. To endure the power of the pain and suffering, or a power to endure the pain and suffering of our lives now. For some, the power to endure comes from looking back at the good times in the past and knowing at least we have that. For some, the, the power to endure comes from looking ahead at when all these things should be behind us. Either way, we're trying to find strength to endure. And as Paul begins this letter to the Colossians, which we said is all about power, he begins with this prayer in verses 13, or sorry, 3 through 14. And he prays for these faltering Colossians. He, he prays that for these Colossians who find themselves in that same busy street at that intersection. On the one hand, some of them, I'm sure, are tempted to look back at the golden age of their city, to look back at the founding of their church and think, at least we have that. Others are tended to look ahead at the new spiritual teachers, the up-and-coming things in the city, and think, we need something more, we need something better. Well, to them and for us this morning comes these words. And we see in this passage that because Christ has delivered us, we endure by his power. Because Christ has delivered us, we endure by his power. This passage can be broken down into two sections, I think, this morning. First is thanksgiving, or looking backward. Second is prayer, or looking forward. Well, first we have thanksgiving, looking forward. That's in verses 3 through 8. After Paul's introduction in the first two verses where he says who it is that's writing this letter, Paul and Timothy and the saints, and who he's sending it to, the saints at Colossae, and he gives them his standard greeting, he begins to describe how the Colossians are being prayed for by him and those with him. Look with me at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Paul and those who are with him pray for the Colossians and give thanks to God for them, and they do so consistently. But the question is, why do they give thanks for the Colossians? Why might that be? Well, after this is a very, very long and complex sentence that most translations try to split into a couple, but it's really difficult. So I'm going to read verses 4 through 6, and then we'll come back and break them down together. They give thanks, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Okay, take a breath. In verse 4, they give thanks, it tells us, because they've heard of the Colossians' faith in Jesus and how that faith is working itself out in the way that Colossians love themselves, like love other Christians and love the others at the church in Colossae. 
Verse 5 tells us this faith and this love that they have flow out of the hope that they have of eternal life. And and it's important here we don't miss these three virtues, faith, hope, and love. They're all over the New Testament. And here they are once again. These are marks of Christians. And so when Paul hears that the Colossians have these marks, he gives thanks to God for that. And this all comes from verse 5, the word of truth. The gospel, the good news that the Colossians heard in the beginning. And this word has come, verse 6, not just to the Colossians, but indeed, Paul says, to the whole world. Meaning that this word has gone out to all the nations and is going out even as he's writing this letter. He's basically telling them, hey, you're not alone in this. You're part of a bigger story. And this good news, both in the world and in Colossae, Paul says, has borne fruit and is increasing. The word that has come has sprouted up, as it were, like a tree, and now the fruits of faith and hope and love are coming to fruition for the Colossians, and Paul is giving thanks for that. And this has happened ever since the Colossians first heard the word and understood the grace of God. This word for understood here is the Greek word for know. So when they heard and knew the grace of God and truth. Verse 7 tells us how this word came. Look with me. It says, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So as we said this morning earlier, Epaphras came to tell Paul about this. Epaphras is called here a fellow servant, literally a fellow slave with Paul. We actually find out later Epaphras is imprisoned with Paul for the gospel, which is probably why he wasn't able to take this letter back to the Colossians. And then that same Epaphras who started the church in Colossae, who brought the words to them, then went to tell Paul about the good news of their reception of the good news and about the Colossians' faith. Don't miss this. The first thing that the Colossians hear in this letter is the famous Apostle Paul always prays for them, always gives thanks for them. They're reminded by him immediately of their coming to faith and how they've loved one another. He's also reminding them that they're not alone. Colossae is not some cultural backwater in the scope of Christianity. They're a part of the greater story that's unfolding. Even for the Colossians now, there's support and there's love. We see modeled here by Paul thanksgiving, looking backwards at what God has done and giving thanks for it. The Old Testament does this consistently all over the place, looking back at God's faithfulness and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob looking back at the Exodus where God delivered his people from Egypt. Or in Psalm 107, that was part of our liturgy this morning, and I'll actually be singing it later on in the service, tells us about four different groups of people who the Lord redeemed. Some who wandered in desert wastes, some who sat in darkness and the shadow of death, some who were fools through their sinful ways, and even some who went down to the sea in ships and were distressed because of great and mighty storms. All of them were delivered by the Lord, and all of them in that psalm are called to thank the Lord, for his steadfast love. But as readers of that psalm, the very last verse calls us to do the same thing. It says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That's what we're being called to do. Oddly enough, I'm reminded here of a children's book called The Kissing Hand by Audrey Penn. I don't know if you know this book, but it's about Chester, and Chester is a raccoon, and Chester doesn't want to go to school. He'd rather stay with his mother. He'd rather spend time with his toys and with his family. He doesn't want to go to night school. And, of course, it's night school because he's a raccoon. And his mother says, okay, I'm going to let you in on this secret, which is supposed to help you when you get there. And she takes his hand and she kisses it and said, this is a kissing hand. 
So whenever you need, whenever you feel lonely, whenever you feel scared, just put your hand to your cheek and know that I love you. Know that I care about you. Know that I'm with you. And in so many ways, what Paul is doing here is he's taking the Colossians' hand, as it were, putting it up to their cheek and saying, look at what God has done for you. Look at the love he has for you. Give thanks to that as I do. You see, like the Colossians, we're meant to look back and invited to look back. What does it look like for us then to look back? Well, we need to look back at what God has done in our lives. How his word first came to us. When we first knew it and understood it. When we knew a time that we knew the Lord. When we first believed. When we saw it bear fruit in our lives. When we saw meaningful change. What's your story? How has God worked in you? Here we're called to look at that story, to look back at his fingerprints, which are all over it, especially now looking back at the past year as we enter a new one. How might you, as Psalm 107 says, attend to these things and consider the steadfast love of the Lord? And how might you as a family do the same? How might we as a church do the same? We can also, I think, like the Colossians, find comfort in the fact that we're not alone. That this gospel has gone out to the whole world. Dallas is not some isolated outpost of the kingdom, nor is even the United States. But we are a part of the greater story of all that Christ is doing in this world. We're not alone. And like Paul, there's an important calling here for us to give thanks when we pray. Not just for ourselves, but also to give thanks for others. Who can you give thanks to, for God, to God in your prayers? Who can you thank God for? How can you, like Paul, use the power that you have to give thanks for those who are seemingly unseen, like he does for the Colossian church? Another application for us, I think, is to see what Epaphras did, the role that he's played in all of this. First, he went back and took the gospel to Colossae, so they believed in the first place. Who is God calling you to make him known to? Maybe it's your own place of origin. Maybe it's your own family. Also, he then brought the good news of the Colossians' faith back to Paul. How can you give thanks to someone to someone else? For example, how can you give thanks to your boss for your coworker? It seems odd, right? Children and students, how can you give thanks to your parents for the faithfulness of your sibling? That seems so odd. That seems so contrary to the way that we do things. But that's what's modeled for us here. Giving thanks for other believers and faithful Christians and their walk with Christ. Well, second in this passage, after thanksgiving and looking backwards, we then have prayer. Looking forwards, as it were. Starting in verse 9. Paul transitions this letter to looking forward and what he's praying for the Colossians. And we see actually repeated here many of the same ideas and words and phrases in the very first section. Look with me at verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul and those with him are still praying for the Colossians. Now their prayer has a future orientation to it. That you may be filled. It's a request that the Colossians be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Whereas before in verse 6, the Colossians heard and understood, Greek knew the grace of God and truth. Now in verse 9, They're asking that the Colossians be filled with the knowledge, same root, of God's will. And when we think about God's will here, there's certainly a future orientation. What God has now for the Colossians. What God has in the future for the Colossians. What's to come. Then we have verse 10. Look with me. And so as to walk walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. 
This filling with knowledge is meant to help the Colossians walk in a manner worthy, both now and in the future. It's not just to be filled with knowledge for the sake of it, but it's to help them actually walk in a manner worthy. Notice they pray that the Colossians would increase in the knowledge of God, again, the same word for knowledge, and bear fruit in every good work. Whereas before in verse 6, right, we talked about the whole, the whole world and the word in Colossae is bearing fruit and increasing. Now we have in verse 10 that this work, the prayer is, would continue to increase and continue to bear fruit. Paul is not asking for you to do something completely different. He's saying that the word would continue the work that it has been doing. This goes on in verse 11. It says this, Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. They pray for strength by the power of God, so that the Colossians might endure and be patient with joy. The same power that brought them to Christ in the first place, they're now praying, Paul and those with them are praying, would keep them and give them strength to endure and be patient with joy. These parallels continue in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share with the inheritance of the saints in light. Just as Paul and those with him gave thanks for the Colossians in verse 3, now Paul is inviting them to look forward and give thanks themselves, that they would do this too. That the power that brought them, we the power that now enables them to give thanks. All of these repeated words and phrases and ideas act to bind this prayer together. After looking back, the Colossians are called to look forward. But notice, these aren't done in isolation. You can't have one without the other. One leads you in naturally to looking the other direction. You see, so often in Scripture, after we see the things that God has done, we're then called to look forward about what he's calling us into and what he's calling us to do now because of those things. I think about Romans 12, which is one of the great hinges of the book of Romans. Whereas before, we see so many of the things that God has done and the love that he has for us in Christ Then Romans 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Based on what Christ has done, we are then called into something. Actually, going back to the kissing hand, Chester, throughout the rest of the book, takes out his hand frequently and uses it to feel the love that his mother has for him. But he does something more. When he gets ready to leave for school, he takes his own mother's hand and gives her a kiss and said, this is for you. You see, he takes the love of his mother, he continues to abide in it and stay in it, and actually uses it and it flows out of him in good works and in love for his mother. That's the idea here that Paul is saying. We're meant to give thanks about what God has done and see how he's calling us now to continue to increase, to continue to bear fruit. These things aren't isolated from one another. So what does it mean for you and I? What does it mean for us to look forward? Well, we're invited very clearly by this passage to bear fruit in every good work. Now, sometimes we hear good work and we think about good works leading to our salvation, and that's not what is true. That's not what the Bible teaches. Rather, it's saying these good works are, as the Westminster Confession puts it, evidences of a good and a lively faith. You see, we have the opportunity now, this week, this year, to do good works, to mirror God's love back, to increase in our faith. Where has God placed you? What decisions has he put before you this year? How can you seek to grow in faith and in hope and in love? This letter also encourages us to attend to the good works of enduring and patience with joy. Sometimes we don't think about enduring and being patient as works because we think, well, we're not doing anything, we're just waiting. But this is clear, that those are works in and of themselves. Where is God calling you to wait, to endure, 
to be patient? Where do we need this long-suffering spirit? And also, I don't know about you, but when I feel like I'm enduring and being patient, the last thing I think about is doing it with joy. I tend to think, well, I'm enduring, I just need to grin and bear it, and I'm probably angry about it. But rather, through God's power, we can do so with joy. So after Paul has them look back, he then has them look forward. Now we might wonder, though, what sort of power could really do this? What sort of power could really bind together the past and the future? What sort of power could do this for the Colossians? What sort of power could do this for us? Many of us in our weaker moments wonder, what has God really done? Or maybe if you're not a Christian, you think, what could God really do for me? Well, look with me again at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Young and old worshipers alike, God has qualified us. He has made us sufficient to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The same inheritance that the saints like Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, Rachel, those in Psalm 107, Paul and Timothy who are writing this letter, the Colossian church, their inheritance by God's grace is also our inheritance. The same word that came to the Colossae has come to us. The same hope, the same power, the same good news. Not that we are qualified by our own works, but rather we are qualified by Christ and by God. Look at verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Hear this, though we've wandered from God, though we've deliberately disobeyed, though we've looked in all the wrong places for power and hope and strength to endure, while we were in death and in darkness, Jesus Christ, the beloved of the Father, came for us to redeem us. He has bought back our lives by his death. Our sins are forgiven because he endured the wrath we deserve on the cross. And this power that enabled him to endure that death is the very same power which enabled him three days later to gloriously rise from the dead. This is the power that enables us to endure. The love of God is not merely a kiss on the hand, but it is life from the dead. It is new resurrection power. You see, it's not up to us to find this power. It's not up to the Colossians to find this power, to try to find it in others, to try to find it in God's creation, to try to find it in our own hearts, to find it in mystic rites. No, this power comes from Christ and Christ alone. And all we're called to do is have faith in him and walk in his ways with that power. True power comes from Christ alone. And as Paul writes elsewhere in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ. God is not finished with us, and by the same power which began in us, things will be carried through to completion. Because Christ has delivered us, we endure by his power. And even though we're on the street corner and in the middle, not knowing where to turn, not knowing which direction to go, by God's grace and through his power, we look backward, giving thanks to what God has done in our lives and in those we love. We also look forward, looking forward to what God will do and the ways he calls us even now to bear fruit. And Christians, by God's grace, now we endure. We endure until that day when he brings the work of us to completion. That day when Christ Jesus comes again in glory. Because Christ has delivered us, we endure by his power and by his power alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Gracious Heavenly Father, when we see the work that you have done on our behalf, the way you've qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, oh Lord, would you help our hearts to overflow in praise to you? Would you show us ways to faithfully walk and to endure? And Lord, would you empower us by the strength which even enabled your Son, Jesus Christ, to rise from the dead? Lord, would you help us to live out this faith so that those around us might see and believe, so that we might be lights in this world? Lord, help us as a church this year to walk in your ways, to increase in faith and in hope and in love. These things we ask in the glorious and faithful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.